In the NFL, you have an average of 18 million viewers watching you every single game. Couple that with ample time in between opportunities to make an impact, and the fate of the game oftentimes coming down to you, kickers feel the weight of the world on their shoulders all the time. Trying to execute a field goal they've done hundreds if not thousands of times leaves the mental game an essential ingredient to their success. Welcome to the Sports Psychology Of. I'm Gabe Zellico. Today, we're breaking down the sports psychology of kicking field goals. Although we'll discuss field goals for the duration of the episode, the same logic goes for PATs, points after touchdown. I'm excited to introduce Austin Ertham, who double dips in experience both as a kicker and mental performance coach. Austin grew up in Kelowna, a small town in southeast Iowa. He played Division I soccer at Drake University and ended up transferring and trying out for the football team at University of Northern Iowa. After a senior season where he led the country in field goals and touchbacks to become an All-American, he went to a minicamp with the Kansas City Chiefs in 2019, which I'll talk about soon. He then went back to school and got a master's degree in sport and exercise psychology and opened up his own mental performance training business called Earthum Performance to help others reach their goals and become 1% better in the mental game. He's also the host of the podcast, The Kitchen Table, all about getting 1% better each day in various topics. Soon, you'll hear the specific ways Kicker's anxiety is fueled, what to do if you're feeling low in confidence, and tangible ways to apply mental skills. I also share a story of how the podcast was first thought up when we talk about the psychology of icing a kicker. Timestamps are in the description. Enjoy. All right, Austin, I want you to walk us through your story. Yeah, so my story is probably a little unique. So I played a lot of high school sports. I played club soccer growing up, and that kind of got in the way. So in Iowa, soccer's in the spring, so I could play club soccer and football. Long story short is didn't play football until seventh grade, and then everybody knew I played soccer and was like, hey, you should come kick for us. So obviously that was a big moment. My first kick, I actually had to kick a game winner in seventh grade. Wow. Um, <laughs> that was very, I was like crying. I was so nervous, which we can probably get into later. But anyways, I ended up going to soccer for college. So I went to Drake University in Des Moines, which is a smaller division one school in the Missouri Valley Conference and started as a freshman, played all that good stuff. And then after that, decided that I wanted to go back in the football round. So sent hundreds of emails to coaches trying to play at different levels and ended up walking on to the University of Northern Iowa. So I tried out after their first game that next fall. So that would have been 2015. And what's funny about this is I didn't kick one ball in my tryout. I did like vertical jump, did bench press. We did like a conditioning test and they're like hey you want to play like you want to play corner like you did in high school and i was like well actually like i, I kicked too so I, like, I can do both and then we were going in on scout team and nobody everybody's like who's this guy like why is he here and they wouldn't let me go in on scout team at corner and of course i didn't know what was going on because i just jumped in and so basically i was like screw this i'm gonna go kick so i just kicked on the side and that was back before they had all these rules that were kind of gone now because i had to sit out a year due to transfer rules so technically my next year my red shirt year was gone so my third year in college i became the starter and had a really roller coaster year my first kick we played iowa state and i missed two of three kicks and slipped on a kickoff 
Next game we played at home against Montana and our snapper tore his ACL. Oh my backup God. snapper, who's actually one of my best friends. The backup snapper comes in, bounces the snap. I put the ball over the uprights. I lose my starting job. A couple weeks later, a fifth-year senior's never played as the starter. He goes like one for six, and he quits the team. So now I got the starting job back. Things are going better. Uh, missed another game winner actually. Wow. And then I end up tore or tearing my hip flexor. So I'm trying to do kickoffs and just kind of line them through. And I can't kick very well at this point. Basically couldn't walk Sunday through Wednesday. And then would try to do something on Thursday and kick or Thursday, Friday, kick Saturday. Essentially lost my starting spot due to an injury. Guy who came in for me went perfect. And the whole year didn't get a chance to win my starting job back. So transition two years later, my senior year, I go to a camp in the summer with a bunch of big schools, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Clemson, and I win the camp with a 68-yard field goal. Wow. So, yeah, it was really, it was one of my best kicks, actually, ever. <laughs> so, ended up, the guy who runs the camp, who I actually work for now in the summers, he calls my head coach and says, hey, this guy could play in the NFL. You should, you should, he should start on your team. So, I end up starting, have a great year, led the nation in field goals, field goal attempts, and then touchbacks, and all-American, all those, whatever accolades uh, you want to call them, and got a chance to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, Harrison Bucker is a very good kicker, so it was more so a tryout kind of for the rest of the league. Did not make the squad. It was, it was the coolest experience I've had in my life, as most people would probably say. So did a couple other things, like the U.S. at Battle, and did some tryouts with that kind of league and stuff like that. Had a couple of other opportunities, but in the end, never panned out. So now I'm a teacher, high school teacher, and obviously went back to school and then working on getting my CMPC and have a master's in sports psychology from Lock Haven University. Teach, do some coaching, do some mental training, all the above. So kind of an interesting story to get to this point. But I think the reason I'm so passionate about sports psychology is because I talked to a sports psychologist in college, kind of when we were going through the, the ringer there for a minute, and he did a great job of helping me in knowing that my my purpose, my being is more than just a kicker. That's my that's my passion. That's my so-called career. But as a human, I'm still Austin. I'm Austin the kicker, not the kicker Austin. Yeah. So it, that really opened my eyes and kind of grounded me a little bit and helped me find some more joy in kind of what I was doing. And now I want to help others to have that same joy and hopefully reach their goals like I was trying to do. That's kind of how I got passionate about it. There's a lot that we could go into with this, but there's one thing I'm really curious about. Okay. So I want to compare the nerves you might have felt in those mm -hmm. big games early in your college career and then the nerves at that camp. Because I imagine they're, they might have been similar, although the games were probably a bit more intense, but that camp was also like maybe your last chance to prove yourself and get somewhere and you had the best kick of your life. And yeah. so I'm wondering, was it kind of the same amount of anxiety and stress or was it different and that's why you kicked better can you talk about that a little yeah so early on in my college career i would say i learned a great quote um, back then and it was you need to kick to make the kick not kick to not miss so i was saying i was kicking to not miss more than i was kicking to make it and obviously so kicking everything happens from zero to 1.3 seconds from snap to kick so you take that time and we do all this practicing on the side and we really have 1.3 seconds. 
So in that 1.3 seconds, if you're not putting your full effort into it, you one little tweak in your form of trying to so-called aim it, that's going to affect it. Because if you, if you hit a football two inches off the sweet spot, it could go six feet the wrong direction. And you only have, I mean, I think college is 18 feet wide. So you don't have a ton of room for error. So if you're trying to place it in this perfect spot and kind of hesitant, then you're in that 1.3 seconds, you're definitely going to have something go haywire. So I was really trying to, I mean, trying to hit a spot. We get into that later too. But the biggest thing was I was so tense and nervous that I couldn't like relax. And that affected my kicking because I was so afraid what would happen if I miss it. When I get pulled, I not be the starter. I'm not going to be able to have a chance to go to the NFL, all this kind of stuff. My friends think I'm great and I'm not that good. All these thoughts are kind of going through my mind versus transition two years later to the Kia. Now I'm thinking, hey, this is an opportunity. It's not that what if I miss? It's, hey, this is what if I make it? So now I'm thinking, okay, I'm against all these colleges. I can prove that I'm the best one here. So it's no longer a burden, but an opportunity. And I remember the kick very vivid to this day. It was a grass field. Most people, I remember walking to the field are thinking, we're going to have a competition on this grass. Like it's super long. And I'm thinking our college practice field is just like this. Like, I love it. This is great. So I'm already ahead of them thinking about that. And then it was, a, it was the third day of our key. So everybody's kind of tired. And again, I hear people, I don't really want to do this. Well, I'm thinking, well, this is a great opportunity to get in, get a look for the NFL, essentially, because this is kind of the camp they pick who from their program might have a chance to go to the NFL. And then during warmups, I just felt good and I was positive and I was thinking about my process, not if I was going to make miss, just trying to enjoy. It was a beautiful Saturday morning, trying to enjoy the time being outside, doing something that I love. And then you kind of get in that, you just get that feeling, you know, as you're playing and then you just kind of get into a rhythm. And once you get into that rhythm, you're kind of locked into the zone. And honestly, that's just what happened. I was in the zone. It was like I, I could try to miss and I wasn't going to miss. Everything was just a nice flow state. I was in a rhythm. My steps were good. Rhythm was good. Ball contact was solid. So when you start thinking about those things instead of grass is long, I'm tired. This is day three. And you start thinking about the process of what you need to do. And usually the outcome will be something you can live with. I always tell kids that if you're, if you're enjoying yourself and you're thinking about the process, good things will happen. It might not be exactly what you want, but something good will happen. So that's kind of the difference that I had from young Austin to hopefully a little bit older and wiser Austin. Yeah, perfect. So you, correct me if I'm wrong, you coach a lot in kickers in football. Is that right? Yeah, so I work for, it's called Coles um, Kicking. Um, so I'm a regional coach. I'm in charge of Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri, and Kansas. So we do. I do like a, a 10 camp thing every March through July. And there's, yeah, there's hundreds of kickers. That, I mean, I talk to about this stuff all the time. So, okay. That sets the scene perfectly for this episode. And what this is mostly going to be is talking about all of the different mental obstacles that we've already alluded to and some that we haven't talked about. I want to talk about the obstacles and then how you, one, experience them and manage them as your own when you were an athlete. And then two, how you coach other kickers through these mental obstacles, both as a kicker's coach, but also as a mental performance coach. And then we're going to talk more specifically about tools towards the end, but also as we go. So let's just start off with the one that is the most obvious to me, and that is the weight and pressure of a specific kick. 
And also, we're going to be talking about field goals probably the whole time, but that's also for the PATs, I imagine, after touchdowns. But let's just call it field goals. So, again, the first thing that comes to my mind is this game is kind of on me, especially in those walk-offs, the potential game winner or game loser kicks. You could take this a lot of ways. I know you already talked about the self-talk of saying Mm -hmm. not kicking to not make it, but kicking to make it. But where else does your mind go of the the anxiety and other mental obstacles that come from these heavily weighted kicks at the end of a game? Yeah, so this is, like you said, the number one reason that kickers would make a mistake and the number one thing that I talk to my athletes about. Because ultimately, we, we don't have, we're not an offensive lineman, they miss a block and they just go to the next play, right? We miss a kick. We might not get a kick again in the game and then you got to live with it all week or if it's the end of the season. So one thing we got to, as kickers, we really have to kind of minimize the the pressure, right? So we we have to think is every kick is just one kick. It's not a game winner. It's every kick's the same kick, whether it's 50 yards, whether it's an extra point. We're having the same form. We're having the same mentality no matter what, because if we start blowing the kick up, we're at a skill position that we don't necessarily want that adrenaline pumping, pumping. Because if it is, we're likely to speed up and we don't want to speed up. So I always relate it to golf. If a golfer is super excited, he's going to end up trying to overswing his drive. The next thing you know, he's going to slice it. Same thing with kicking. If you're trying to swing harder or you have more adrenaline, you're going to approach it faster. Mechanic-wise, that's going to be much harder for your body to catch up to. So we need to think about, okay, this is just a kick. We're having the same process every time. Not of, hey, this is a game winner. I got to make it. It's more of a, okay, here's the wind direction, et cetera, et cetera. Can I interrupt and ask? So you said a couple of great things there of it's just another kick. And then also just still focusing on the process. I want to point these out because in one instance, I think you're lying to yourself when you're saying it's just another kick. Like this is everything in the moment. And I think it could cause more mental tension if you are trying to lie to yourself, but at the same time, the process still stays the same. So focusing on the nuts and bolts of the kick is still the right thing to think about. But is it, is it a problem maybe to lie to yourself and say, oh no, this is just another kick. This isn't a big deal. Or do you, do you have to acknowledge like, no, this is huge right now, but my focus is still the same on the process. Yeah, I think, I think you can go both ways. I think it depends on the athlete, to be honest. For me, if you can really make yourself believe, hey, this is just another kick, like no matter what, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. If you can have that sort of mindset, then great. If you need to be, hey, this is a 100%, I got to make it type deal, then it, we change our focus to, okay, yeah, it's a kick I need to make, but what do I need to focus on in order to make this kick? So we just change our approach a little bit and focus on what are the details that I need to do. So it's So weather, for instance, let's say you're going in, and it is a 40-yard field goal, and you got to win the game. And it's most high school kids' season ends in October, November, depending on what state you're in. So let's say it's around Thanksgiving time, and you're outside. It's relatively chilly. The wind's going left to right. And as a right-footed kicker, you got to make sure you're aiming a little bit to the left there. So I'm thinking about on the sideline, okay, what do I need to do with this important kick? I'm going to be kicking my warm-up kicks, hopefully in the direction I'm going to kick. So that way I can learn that wind before I step on the field. So I'm thinking about that. Even if I'm just taking swings and not actually kicking a ball, I'm taking my practice swings, my kicks with the wind in that direction. 
So that way I can prepare for it. And as I'm doing that, I'm running through my process every single time. So just a little bit about the process of kicking. So I'm going to find some sort of target that is high in the sky that it's, I'm not going to be able to make it to. There Usually there's a scoreboard, something like that behind the field goal post. So I'm going to pretend I have some sort of target. I find it. I give a little pat to my holder, maybe. Hopefully build his confidence that I trust him. And then take my three steps back and then two steps over. And when I get over, I want to get comfortable. And another thing that I really focused on from young Austin to older Austin is taking a deep breath beforehand. So I want to make sure if you have any of that tension or we're not having that focus, I would say like on our process, we're focusing, hey, I got to make it because this is a game winner. That's the moment that I always tell athletes that that thought leaves your body as you exhale. Then you look at your spot and you're locked in on cake. What are the three cues that I need in order to make this kick? So maybe it's short jab step, which is the little step you take at the start. Maybe it's good rhythm. Maybe it's foot open. Maybe it's swing straight to my target. So that was a big one for me. There's a target in the at Chiefs facility. There's literally a dartboard behind the uprights. So I would envision, for instance, this getting into more kind of visualization here, but I would visualize in golf when you watch golf on TV, there's the red line or you go to top golf and you can kind of see where the ball went. I'm picturing that after I take my breath, I'm thinking this is where the ball is going. And then I just have to know if I follow my leg through, I'll make 90% of my kicks. And then if I do that, the outcome is likely to be good. So I'm thinking those three cues and then snap goes and you're thinking one, two, three, boom. I think it's fair to say a home base that we're going to constantly come back to as we talk about mental obstacles is noticing that your thinking is damaging your performance, like thinking about the weather, the anxiety, all this stuff, and then coming back to the process, which you are illustrating very concretely, which I really appreciate these specific ingredients that you can focus on and execute. So it's going to be the same solution for a lot of this, but you did mention breathing visualization, which we'll get into in more detail later, but let's keep going through the obstacles because like I said, awareness precedes the self-talk improvement of focusing on the process. So the more we can be aware of obstacles that damage our focus, the better we will be able to refocus and not experience that anxiety as intensely. And I also just wanted to say, this is clearly something that relates to every sport, not just kicking. There are little differences, like how, like you said, you might have one opportunity as a kicker, and then you might have to live with that for a week. Other times, like other sports in hockey, basketball, even baseball, you might have some opportunities and have another one coming up soon, another shift, another at bat. So very applicable to all athletes, but let's keep going through some obstacles. I want to talk about the crowd. How much did that crowd make a difference? Let's say whether there's a thousand people in the stands or 10,000, is that, is that a real driver of anxiety or does it not matter as much as the score matters? I would say that's probably not as important as making your kick and the knowing that, Hey, the score, like you put three points on the board or didn't put three points on the board. Now there is a big difference between 10,000 people in the stands. So at our home games, we would have 12 to 15,000 versus we played at Iowa State or Iowa, there's 75,000 people who hate your guts. So I think for me personally, I think it's awesome when there's a big crowd because then you have the atmosphere and most people want to play in those kind of big games, right? That's kind of what you live for. So 
I would say that it's not as big of a deal and you should always try to use those again. Take it as an opportunity. Use those to your advantage. If you're away, for instance, hey, I can make this crowd be quieter. Something that's really important, I think, for the crowd noise is to put pressure on yourself during practice. Now, I understand that you cannot mimic 50,000 people, for instance, but if coach says they go down, you're doing like a two-minute drill and you got to make a field goal. And if you miss the field goal, the whole team's going to do a sprint from end line to end line all the way back. And then they're going to do another drive. So those 300-pound linemen are probably not going to be very happy with you. The receivers who just ran four routes in a row are probably not going to be very happy with you. And obviously your snapper and holder who you just made run are obviously also not going to be very happy with you. So that kind of mimics the pressure that you can have. Or you can come off the sideline beforehand. And like we always had crowd noise in practice, right? So if you have the crowd noise, actually come off the sideline every kick. Take a kick, go back to the sideline, wait three, four minutes if you're practicing with your snapper and holder at practice, and then go again. So that kind of mimics, hey, I only have one opportunity. And that gets you thinking, okay, there's a bunch of crowd noise, but as I'm running, again, I'm redoing that process, going back to kind of our main point here and thinking about our focus and our attention towards what that is. Because then, again, you're kind of prepared for the moment. Not a hundred percent. Another thing we do at camps is we'll have all the campers kind of make a circle and get really tight and just start yelling stuff at you. Hey, you need a haircut, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, you got to focus through all that kind of noise and really have a tunnel vision lock in on your spot. And then that way you're not thinking about it. I think tunnel vision and focusing back on that process, as well as attempting to prepare for it is probably your best bet for the crowd. And it's not to say this isn't worth it because I can't replicate it like it will be in a game. It's more about it's closer to what it will feel like. So it's going to help me prepare, even though it's not perfect. So it's still going to enhance your mental game, right? Absolutely. So did you say you had like legit crowd noise over speakers or something in practices? I love that. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of of schools would do that. It would just be like background crowd noise or something from YouTube. And they're just blared up. Like we would play in Iowa or North Dakota State was a big one. And we would blare that thing on the speakers as loud as it could go. And you got hand signals on it kind of stuff because you can't hear anything. Wow. It gets it gets <laughs> annoying having that for three hours, but it does help her prepare a little bit, I would say. Yeah, that's awesome. That's hilarious. Let's talk about low confidence heading into a kick of maybe you haven't been making them. Maybe you know, okay, this could be my career right here or my starting position. How, again, maybe if there's anything else other than being aware, refocusing on the process, is there something more specific to confidence that we can do here yeah it's this is a hard thing in the kicking world because you you need to see the ball go in so again maybe in in warm-ups for instance maybe in warm-ups you take shorter kicks than you're used to just to see repetition of the ball going in or i always tell people go back to the fundamentals not even of of that kicking but just fundamentals of the whole game in general Okay, why are you here? What's your purpose? Why are you motivated to do this? And kind of get back to square one and try to bring the joy back into it. And if you do that, then you can start thinking of, okay, what's the fundamentals of a kick? Not thinking about, okay, I have to do this, this, and this at game time, but what can I do? What what makes me put the ball through the uprights? Is it my foot position? And just focus on that thing instead of, I need to make this kick or I have these three cues, whatever it might be. 
if you have low confidence, it's super hard to kind of get in the zone per se because you've seen seen misses a lot. So another thing you can tell yourself in warmups is if you go back there and you're missing a couple of kicks in a row, you just got to, another thing I tell people all the time is warmups are meant for you to miss. If you're outside, you're trying to learn the win, right? They don't keep track of the, the score in warmups. I, I went to a Indianapolis Colts game a few years ago and Adam Vinatieri, who's one of the best kickers of all time, was kicking and he missed like six balls in a row. And I was like, whoa. And then in a game, he made four field goals. So it, it warmups really do not matter. It's just a matter of figuring things out. And when you do that, hopefully you're going back to like, oh, this is a cool, I'm in a nice stadium. I get to play football. Afterwards, my family's here. We're going out to eat. Trying to think of other things that bring you joy. Because a lot of times if you're happy, you're going to play better. If you're down in the dumps thinking, oh my gosh, what if I had to kick a field goal today? It's a lot more challenging to do. But ultimately, confidence can also be grown in self-talk, which we can probably get into a little bit as well. So I think the biggest thing for confidence is you got to communicate with your snapper and holder. So what I always tell people is sometimes we get so focused on our job that we have to make kicks. We got to do this. I always tell kids, hey, if you're, if you're on the sideline, just talk with your snapper and older. Hey, who's here to watch you today? Your parents here? Where are you guys going to eat after the game? Because ultimately, we can't stay focused for, let's say, so we go out two hours before the game starts to kick so the field's open. Then you have warm-ups for the whole team. Then you go out and kick again. Then you have the game, which lasts an average of three hours. So all of a sudden, you can't, there's no way you can focus for five hours straight, right? So we, we literally just need to focus. I always say third down, to the time the ball goes through the uprights and you celebrate with your team, that's all you need to focus. That's two minutes. And you really, really need to focus for 20 seconds as you're running up to the field and you kick the ball. So on the sideline, if your confidence is low, let's not blow it out of proportion and, oh my gosh, I'm about to go kick a, a field goal. What if I miss? It's more so, hey, you guys good to go, building confidence in other people. Hopefully your snapper holder are usually pretty good about this. Knowing that, hey, we got to boost his confidence. Hey, you look great in warm-ups. Hey, that was a great swing. All that kind of stuff. And this is where coaches kind of struggle sometimes. Because coaches don't know a ton about the kicking game. So they're always thinking, hey, you got to make it. Or how did you miss that? Whereas there's a lot of factors that go into it. So a coach, I was always a person who a coach, if he showed confidence in me, that raised my confidence. And then again, you feel like when you feel like you're the man, you're more likely to be the man. So if the snapper and holder can help grow you and you're, you're having conversations about other things than just your performance, you're likely to have kind of that focus when you need it and not lose that energy focusing for five hours and then bring that confidence down where you're constantly thinking, have to make it. I did do good in practice this week. I missed my last two kicks. I might lose my starting job. All those kind of negative thoughts that a lot of kickers have. Ultimately, we got to slow it down, go back to the fundamentals. Have fun. Talk with your holder and snapper. If you're on defense, you don't need to be locked in on kicking. Talk with your team. Put yourself in a defensive position. Hey, if I was a quarter, what would I do right now? That kind of stuff. So that way you, you, you take the pressure off yourself and you start to enjoy and get in the game more. And as you get into the game, then it's okay. Here's my job. I'll go out there and do it. Do what I can. I want to talk about the relationship between confidence and control. But before that... You said something really powerful that I think especially a lot of other athletes from other sports can 
uh, take with them in that you said warm-ups is the time to make your mistakes, right? That's, and why that's, why this is so important is because a lot of times your first shift can really determine your confidence for the rest of the game. So whatever your first play is, and this can also extend into warm-ups of how you do in warm-ups will impact how you play in that first shift, how you feel. And then that keeps going. It's like a snowball effect and accepting that that is a, a that is a myth that that does not have to be true can be really relieving when someone does in fact have a poor performance in warmups i know as a goalie in ice hockey i would i finally got to the point where i said warmups does not matter how i perform it's how i'm feeling and if i'm feeling fine but the results aren't there that's very different than the results aren't there and now i'm feeling poorly so that's something that everyone can really take with them into whatever sport they're playing let's talk about control because you you were alluding to the first thing I want to talk about with your snapper and your holder. Mm -hmm. But I have this broad theory that when you think about factors in the game that are out of your control, like controlling how other people react or the outcome of a game, they're not in your direct control. So you have more anxiety, more self-doubt, less confidence. When you're focused on parts of the process, your attitude, your preparation, things directly in your control, you have more confidence because there's less self-doubt about executing that how you want to execute it. So that's kind of the framework I like to lay for this talk about control. So I want you to talk about that relationship between the snapper and the holder. That's a really important one that maybe people don't think about enough, but you cannot control how they perform. And at the end of the day, if you miss a really important field goal, people are going to be looking at you much more than the snapper and the holder, I imagine. So that can probably create a lot of tension and anxiety. How do you manage the mental obstacle of lacking control over these really important factors in determining the outcome? Yeah, so controllables are another thing for anxiety that kickers have, I would say, multiple issues with because, again, they, they want to make the kick. And when you practice, we have this little wand that we usually practice on. So essentially, it's all up to you to stick the ball in the wand. It's sitting there on a platter, and then you kick it 30 to 40 times of practice, right, versus in a game. You don't have that. You have the snapper, the holder, the people are coming at you, all that kind of stuff. So that's probably the second thing that I talk to athletes about the most besides just the anxiety of making a kick. It's that, hey, my, my snapper and holder aren't doing very good. I don't look very good then. I can't make kicks. I'm not going to get recruited, all this kind of stuff. Whereas kind of like you alluded to, it's really that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it is what are we focusing on? And then if we're focusing on them, does that hinder our ability to do our job? The first thing we always talk about is you need to build a relationship between you and your snapper and holder, because if you don't trust them and they don't trust you, then we're not going to have a nice close knit kind of group, right? You spend all day, every day with them as a, a football player in the fall. You, you practice three hours a day. You're probably in the same lifting groups. You're going out. We'd always have team meals on Fridays and then specialists will go out Thursdays. So we'd, we'd eat together twice a week, at least bigger schools. You have like their own cafeteria. They eat together every day. So you're spending a lot of time with these guys. So it would make sense that you probably want to trust them. So I always say that in the off season, starting in, I mean, June, July, especially, take your snapper and holder out to eat, build a relationship with them because your success somewhat relies on them. Right. So if you can work with them, that's going to build your confidence and it's going to build their confidence. Because if you miss in the paper, it's not going to say Joey, the snapper did bad. It's going to be, hey, Austin missed the kick wide left. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we kind of turn. This is going to be a little bit odd. But we want to 
try to take an uncontrollable and turn it a little bit into our control. So that starts in the off season of building that relationship, telling your snapper holder exactly how you want the ball. So it's a big myth that people want to have the ball lean back. You don't actually want the ball lean back because that covers up the sweet spot. And then you have less surface area to hit the sweet spot, which means your ball is likely going to have weird rotation. So we want to tell our snapper, we want the ball straight up and down and then lean towards or sorry, our holder's ball straight up and down, lean towards the holder a little bit. So that way our foot is going to be flush with the ball and we're more, more likely to have good contact. Um, so that every kicker has a little bit different. If it's windy outside, uh, more advanced kickers will change their swing a little bit and change how they want the holder to have the ball. So NFL guys do that all the time, whereas high school guys probably aren't able to do that. So how can we simplify it for the holder? Okay, you have a block that you can set it on. Hey, I don't need the laces on extra points, but I do for field goals, all that kind of stuff. I need roughly this much tilt, but if it's not perfect, then you can work with them on that. So then they have stuff to work on and are you spending time with them? Hey, after practice, can I throw you 10 snaps? Right, so that's the part of turning a uncontrollable into a controllable. But then we also need to be thinking, okay, in a game, there's no way that I can snap it, hold it, kick at the same time. That's when we have to go back to, okay, what is my job? Football is the ultimate team game, people say, because there's so many different parts to it, right? And everybody has a specific spot that they kind of are within. So what's your spot on the team? Well, my job is to put the ball through the uprights, okay? So no matter what the hold and snap looks like, I need to put it through. So what can you do? Well, I can take my wand that I have and I can go do extra points and I can purposely kick with the laces toward me. I can purposely have the tilt go in the wrong direction. I can purposely have a wet ball and deal with the conditions. I can purposely have a pretend there's a high snap and change my form to have to like take like a half step and then pause. So there's stuff you can work on to kind of, I guess, prepare for that again. And then in the moment, just like you said, you got to be thinking about your process, your attitude and your energy levels and not you got to kind of block that out again. Because ultimately, you can't control that. So I always do like a control list with kickers. Here's what I can control. Here's what I can't control. I, and then I make sure like they're journaling, whatever. I'm a big believer in journaling and taking your kicks and kind of writing things down. Here's what I did this day. Here's how I felt. Here's the outcome. Here's what I focused on. So on the control list, you need to be thinking about these every single day and just wipe these away. Because technically, these don't matter. Mm -hmm. you, you're not going to fix those. So what can you do? to be the best kicker you can be. And then ultimately, if you trust those guys, you're going to do your job better. Going back to my very first point, that if you're thinking about missing or kicking to not miss, you're hesitant. It's going to be harder to make kicks rather than saying, I'm going for it, right? I was, another thing I was always told is if you're going to miss, you might as well miss by like 30 feet because who <laughs> cares, right? So you might as well let it fly and give your best shot, put your best foot forward because that's ultimately going to lead you to more success. This is a really fun episode just because of how specific we're getting, but also fun because of this next thing that I want to talk about, this next obstacle, which quick story time, this is how the podcast started. I was watching football and I was kind of new to the sport. I didn't know it as well as I do now, but I saw the great little thing of getting iced as a kicker. For those who aren't aware, icing the kicker is when the opposing team calls a timeout right before you kick it. So you are kind of thinking maybe they're going to call it and this kick won't matter or then they do and you have more time to think and sit in that. 
I wondered to myself, what is the sports psychology of getting iced as a kicker? And then I started thinking about this in the context of all these other things in sports and sports psychology topics. So let's talk about this. Are you ever going into a kick thinking, oh man, they might ice me, which is bad because that's not part of the process, shouldn't be thinking. And then should that happen, is there anything different to getting refocused other than coming back to the process? So I love this. This is one of my favorite questions. So here's here's a fun fact for all your listeners. Kickers make 80% more kicks after getting iced. <laughs> here's why. When you are by yourself on a field, you kick, you go get the ball, and you have all the time in the world, right? It's much, much more challenging to say, hey, it's third down. Okay, I take my practice swing. All right, you have 40 seconds. You got to go kick the ball, right? They say you need minimum 13 seconds to do like a mayday field goal, which is you run. You don't even take your steps. You just kind of know when you kick it. And ideally, you need about 25 seconds to like go out there, take your process, take your breath, all that kind of stuff. So icing, icing takes all of that away. So you're on the field. Right. You, you get to take another practice week. You can visualize the kick again. Whereas before you're visualizing as you're running. Right? Now you're doing, okay, here's the wind again. Here's the field conditions. Your snapper holder can literally get a snap before you kick it and you can see it live. You just aren't technically allowed to kick it. It's supposed to be a penalty now. But back in the day, they used to actually take a practice kick. And in the NFL, you're only allowed one timeout. So you know you get ice, you know next time you are kicking automatically. In college, you can use all three timeouts. So I always tell kids, you have to assume you're not getting ice. So it's the same process because otherwise we're taking that focus on something that one, we can't control, two, that we don't want to be focusing on because that takes away from our process. So if we don't get ice, great. It's a normal process like you have done probably earlier in the game. If you do be ice or if you do get iced, then great. I have two to three minutes. Usually a media timeout is three minutes in college in the pros. So you have three minutes to gather your thoughts. You can go to the sideline, get a quick practice kick. Your athletic trainer will bring you some water. You can visualize the kick and you're set up just like practice every single day. So it's technically easier to get iced. Now, if it's a game winner, coaches think, oh, now the kicker has more time to think, right? Yes, but a good kicker has more time to think about the stuff that he wants to focus on in order to make the kick rather than focus on, okay, I got to go. Like, I got to make this kick. It's live. We're going. Crowd's going, you know. Everything slows down. And from the skill position that you need to have kind of the mechanics and the timing all kind of line up, it's really good to get iced. So it's kind of a misconception that icing is like a huge thing. and everybody does it, you will not see very often a kicker who gets to kick the ball and there's a penalty or whatever, kicker missed twice in a row from the same spot, especially a, a high-level kicker. So icing kind of gives you that without getting the kick. Hey, I can kind of focus on all this stuff. And now it seems, hopefully, that builds your confidence because you're focusing on the right things. So it's it's fun to get ice, to be honest. I did not expect that, that positive spin, but it, it kind of clicked for me when you mentioned... The way I thought about it is you have more time to prepare and yep. that's going to build confidence. Now I could definitely see a lot of people still having more time to think, more time to think about the outcome and other things they can't control and feeling more anxiety. But this was an interesting perspective to take. So very cool. I want to play a clip from Justin Tucker and get your thoughts. Do you love it when it comes down to you? 
I mean, I love it and I hate it and everything in between. It's, uh, you know, I, I'd be lying to you if I said every time I go out there, I'm not just a little bit nervous. You know, I'm not thinking about, you know, worst case scenario, but it's really important to me and to us to take, you know, those 1.3 seconds between the snap, the hold, and the kick and just focus on the nuts and bolts of what's going to make the kick. And my feelings don't matter. What matters is seeing the ball snapped with 12 o'clock laces from Nick Moore, seeing the ball spotted cleanly from Jordan Stout, his first career game-winning hold. And then uh, from there, I'm just a system kicker. The ball kicks itself at that point. Uh, and all, all we're really thinking about is those things that are going to make the kick. All the feelings and stuff, we can enjoy them after the fact. His, his response is awesome because in the end, your feelings don't make kicks. Your feelings don't miss kicks. It's all, it's what you do with your physical mechanics and your brain helps you to have good physical mechanics. So I love how he focuses on what he needs to do about he said with his holder getting the laces forward, him getting his foot through the ball. Then he, like he said, the, the ball basically kicks itself at that point. So I think having that mentality of, you know what? Most people who are going to kick, and I tell this to people all the time, you're going to be nervous. 99% of people are going to get nervous, but it's how you deal with those nerves that makes a difference. Everybody has stress in their lives. It's how you deal with the stress that makes a difference. So I love his mentality of, hey, I'm here to do my job and him focusing on the process to do that. And that, that, that's why he's as good as he is. There's another interview that he talks about. I think there's a whole 60 minutes about him, actually. And there's one, again, he's talking about the wind and the weather. It might have been raining. He's talking about how all I focus is that it was this tough kick. I was nervous going into it because I didn't want to slip. And then he talks about how if I knew if I had a wide plant foot and I, the ball was tilted correctly, that if I got my foot through the ball, then I knew I'd make it. And then he's like, then I get to celebrate my teammates. So then it's like a big, it's always a big when you, when you kick the ball and it goes through because then you get to celebrate. I think those are the things that makes our job so fun is the precision and the accuracy it takes. And then when you make it, you know you did something hard, right? So he's basically referring to like the grit of a kicker, right? It's, it's basically the hero or the zero. So when you make that, it's a super relieving. And I love how his mentality is, this is going to be hard. But if I focus on the right things, I'm going to have a great time celebrating. So I just, I like his mentality moving forward. And I think all young kickers should kind of have that same mentality. Let's talk about specific tools that a lot of these kickers are putting into play and how athletes listening can do the same. Let's first talk more about awareness. I mentioned earlier, having to be aware of your mental obstacles, the pitfalls that your mind and brain sets will help you be more focused and optimize your mental game. So rather than just talking about all the mental obstacles that we have, is there another way that you train your athletes to have that awareness about their, their thoughts and then the symptoms that might arise from anxiety? Yeah. So like I said before, I'm a big component of journaling. So I always tell athletes for you to fix something first, you have to realize what you want to fix and you need to know how to fix it. And part of that is obviously my job, but they, they know themselves better than anybody, right? So if they keep a journal, here's how I felt today. Here's how I did today in my performance. And you can measure it however you want. You can do actually made kicks. You could do, I felt good on these kicks. I'm a big component of that because the outcome really doesn't matter. So I think if you can be self-aware of, okay, these are my triggers. This is what I need to focus on in order to fix that trigger. Or, hey, this is what builds my confidence. I need to be doing that beforehand. I also think kind of watching film before the game is super important. I would always sit in my locker and watch a highlight film of myself before I go on the field to one, boost my confidence, 
and two, remind myself that, hey, I, I'm pretty good. Like this is this is what I can do. And then also I can kind of look at my, here's my three cues. I'd always write them on an index card and then put them in my locker. I can see, hey, I did these on this kick. And you see that over and over and over again. So then that trigger of, hey, this is what I haven't done well in practice this week goes away because it's, hey, I've done this in the past. Like I know how to do it. Or if you know you you struggle with a certain type of wind, for instance, a right-footed kicker, since most people are right-footed. I'm actually left-footed, but I teach everything right-footed. <laughs> so if a wind is going for a right-footed kicker from right to left, the ball is really like most people are going to pull the ball because they wrap their leg around and their hip goes to the left. So if you have a right to left wind, it's a challenging miss for a kicker because if you miss a little bit, you're like you're more likely to miss it versus if you come around it and the wind pulls it back, it's not as big of a deal. So if you struggle with that type of wind, you need to know, okay, what percentage of the wind really affects my ball from what angles, from what distance? And if you start to know that about yourself, again, we're going towards mastery, right? So we need 10,000 hours of diligent practice. So if you're doing that in the practice field, thinking about kind of, okay, the wind triggers me. I struggle when it's windy. On a windy day, we need to go outside. We need to practice those kicks, right? So again, if we're doing that in practice, we're more likely to follow through in a game and have more confidence. So just little things like that really help to kind of build yourself up. But I'm a huge component of writing those things down daily. And then eventually... Again, everybody wants this huge change. Kicking is a hard thing to do and change in one week. It's most, usually things are a three to five month process. So if you can see a little bit of change each week, you look back five months, hopefully you're a lot better kicker for whatever the trigger was for you yeah. uh, because you practice it, you recognize it, you wrote it down and you've seen that growth over time. It's a really accurate theme that keeps coming up in that preparation is going to enhance our performance all around. It's not as much psychological skills in the moment right before the kick. It's actually preparation and warmups the week leading up to it, journaling throughout the season to understand your triggers. So in light of that preparation talk and that preparation piece, how do you coach athletes in imagery and visualization, maybe in the locker room before a kick or maybe just anywhere else? It could be, I imagine, on the sideline as well. Yeah, so... I, I kind of use like a three-piece process. So first, you need to learn it. Second, you need to practice it. And then thirdly, you can own it. So that's when it kind of becomes who you are. So each session that we go through and we talk about the mechanics of kicking, I will also throw in the kind of the mental side that people don't really think of as mental training, but we're doing the mental training. So each time we uh, have a session or whatever, we're talking about, okay, here's how you physically kick, but I'm going to find a target Right. And when we find a target, we are visualizing that target. I say, I see where the ball is going to go. I'm picturing it before I even take my steps. So we're kind of throwing in the mental game with it. So we're learning the process. We take our steps back. Can we find a target again? We're taking a deep breath here because then again, if you, you need to relax that adrenaline out. So you need a deeper breath out than you do have going in. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe it's somebody on the sideline who doesn't get going very good and their first kick is poor. Okay, we're going to speed you up a little bit. Maybe we do a sprint on the sideline. Maybe we do a couple more kicks than we normally would for the average person. Again, knowing yourself will help in that situation. But we're, we kind of do a multitask of mechanics and mental training at the same time. So once we kind of get the tidbit in, 
okay, we're nervous. Okay, what can we do? What's, what's our process? I'll ask them, what are three things that you are focusing on in this session for kicking? And the three things they're focusing on is a mechanic piece. But as they're kicking, they're thinking about the process because the process are those mechanics. So then the outcome, we talk about, hey, the outcome's only 5% of what actually happens. 95% needs to be the process. So then again, we're focusing on the mental training. We're practicing it every single kick because we're trying to get towards that mastery. So in a game, yeah, the game should be fun and easy because practice, we're so diligently locked in that a game, hey, I only have to do this five times. Like this, this is fun. I get to celebrate afterwards. Um, so kind of using that method of, okay, let's learn it. Learning everybody can do that. Practicing it is what I've found for the average kicker to the good kicker is we're focusing on that over and over and over again. And then three, once it becomes who we are, that's when we will obviously be successful more than not in a game. Is there a common thread between visualization practice? Like you got to do it at this time or you have to be doing it with your eyes open, eyes closed, or is this a very individualized type of psychological skill? And is there anyone that you've come across that really does not have any interest in this mental skill? Yeah. So it's, I'm a person who can visualize like that. Like if you tell me, like, look at an art piece, I can think of what I would see it as right away. My wife is the opposite. But she's obviously not a kicker. Most people, I think, love the visualization piece because we're finding that target. If they if they aren't very good at visualization, or I mean, some we get all the way deep into like imagery and stuff because that's when the crowd can come in. That's a whole other type thing. But if they aren't good at visualization, we really just focus on the mechanics of the kick because then they don't realize that they're still thinking about the process and visualizing like, hey, I need to get my foot open. They know they need to get their foot open. They might not see it, but they know they need to do it. And we still get that brain kind of mind-body connection. So we try to focus on more just the mechanics of kicking then rather than, hey, this is what I see. Most people, I would say, do a decent job at it for the most part. So going off your question about the, is there a most important time? I, I like a couple of different ones. I'm a person who is pretty like anxious and move all the time. So before bed is very challenging for me. I, I tell athletes, hey, if you want to spend 15 seconds for 70 times thinking about a kick or whatever it might be, put a timer for five minutes before you go to bed and think about it. Or the most common one is instead, because people kind of get up for that then, right? So we don't want to visualize then. We want to think, okay, we wake up in the morning to help you get going. Let's think about, okay, this is what I got to do today, blah, blah, blah. Here's what practice is going to look like when we get to that part of the day. And then we're thinking about the kicks then again, quick 15 seconds. Here's my kick. Here's my next kick, that kind of thing. And seeing it go in for 15 seconds, do it for five minutes, be roughly 70 times or whatever it is. So that's a great time when you wake up in the morning. I also think as you are getting taped for practice or you're rolling out or whatever it might be stretching before practice would be a great time to have that time. And if you're a person who doesn't want time to yourself and you don't want to think about it, then we need to just think about it literally right before when we're taking our kicks. You can as simple as that. I like doing the kind of like in the season, I would always try to visualize twice a day. So I would always go in the process of kicking at practice. And then I would always do when I wake up in the morning. So that's just mine. But I think most people visualize the kick as it is. They don't know that they are, but most people do. I would say the other... 
time that maybe is something we don't think about is a lot of people visualize the kick, analyzing the kick they just had. And that can really change confidence to go up or down. So I think when you miss a kick or you make a kick, it's super important bringing back the relationship with snapper and holder to talk about that kick on the sideline. One thing, one way we can help build confidence is we flush that kick. So we miss it. Maybe it's a short kick. You shouldn't have missed it. Go on the sideline, talk about what happened, get all the stuff out you need to get out. And then it's like you threw it away. It's gone. If you made it, okay, what went really well? Why am I in? Why am I doing so good? Can we keep it up type deal? So then you're, you're, you're thinking about it. You're visualizing it. And then you're either going to keep going on it or you're going to tweak something. Okay, next kick. This is what I'm going to do to make it even better. I missed my target by a foot. Here's how I can close that gap. So I think talking about it helps you to visualize it. And afterwards, we also visualize. So then what do we want to see in the change? And we want to visualize that change to make the outcome be better for the next kick. How do you explain the importance and coach your athletes through relaxation techniques like breathing? Yeah, this one is, I have honestly not found a great way. A lot of high school kids tend to maybe not focus very well during these. I try to do it. We try to do like a little PMR at the end of the session. Which is progressive muscular relaxation. Yep. So we'll, we'll try to like calm our body down at that point, especially if we had a long session. Some kids like to giggle and stuff, but we'll go through a little script and that type of deal at the end of the session. At the start of the session, we will do the opposite. Obviously, we want to get their bodies going. So we will do kind of a script and I actually did this in college I, I refer it similar to hypnosis. Obviously, it's not quite hypnosis, but getting those muscles kind of firing, moving them a little bit. And as we're doing that, we're talking about, okay, you're out, you're running onto the field, your legs are feeling energized, you feel strong today, and they're they're laying on their back, they're they're breathing. So like where I'm saying here, breath in, breath out, just do your natural breathing. And then as you're running, I'm thinking, okay, now you're breathing a little faster type of deal and then you take a deep breath as you take your kick okay let that in adrenaline kind of slow down and then we're thinking about the process and we're kind of taking your muscles are firing there thinking about what's going on so we do a lot of kind of activation beforehand but then afterwards which kids aren't as good at is relaxing but we we try to just take deep breaths and do the pmr or we'll just do a simple like four, seven, eight breathing technique or whatever number that kids can get to. And we'll, we'll just try to focus on cooling down for the day. Again, I, I'm open to suggestions for how to help that be a little more beneficial and not so, okay, I just want to go home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, one thing I want to mention on that is I, I agree the buying can be difficult for some high schoolers, but as you, as you grow up from that age, you understand, okay, whatever's going to help me be better, I'm in. And so sometimes the high schooler aged kids need that push. And one way I get the buy-in is just showing all of the pro athletes that are doing this. Clearly, if they're all doing this, there's something to it. And I wanted to mention, it's basically every NBA player at this point taking a deep breath before a free throw, which can be akin to preparing for a field goal. Is it true that almost all of these kickers in the NFL are, as part of their routine before a kick, taking a deep breath? Yes, 100%, yes. Mm -hmm. So there you go, right? It, it It's there for a reason. It's because not only does it help manage the body's natural stress response to the anxiety that results from this event, but it's also an anchor if some people choose to focus on in the present because it's a 
it's a sensation that becomes very salient if you choose to put your spotlight of attention on that breath. And then once you are not only doing something to calm your body's activation level down to the sweet spot, you're also optimizing focus by pushing out the negative anxious thoughts and focusing on the present through the breath. It makes sense that all of these pro athletes are doing this. So with that being said, I want to go into routines talk, and this is going to be mostly pregame routines, although you have talked about postgame routines, a little bit of just debriefing, talking about what went well. But what do you think is the most important part of a pregame routine that listeners can take away from this? I think that kickers are very routine based. So we do the same thing. We are the same. Like I always wear the same socks. I felt the best in them. We eat the same thing in a pregame meal. We eat our snack at the same time. So we're very routine driven as it is. Something that I think is really important is to go, like if you, if you know yourself or you're self-aware, to know what you need for that day to make your, I always tell kids, if you're having an average day, how can we still make kicks? Like great, great kickers turn average days into good days. So what do we need to do on that day? Are we tired? What, what can we change little parts of our routine just to help us a little bit? So I wear, I wear a whoop band or whatever. So if I'm wearing the whoop and I see my recovery is low, okay, maybe I need an extra eight ounces of coffee and that just triggers my mind. Oh, I'm good today. You know, like something super simple. If it's a cold day, okay, I'm not going to go outside and kick 40 balls and warm ups because I'm just going to be freezing cold. My foot's going to be frozen by the time I have game time. So little things, I think we get so routine like that. We're like, I have to do this. I don't think that is healthy for kickers because in the end, it might be detrimental to our routine. Now, I think routines are important, but ultimately you can always get better without having the same type of stuff. For instance, I always tell kids in the, in the winter time, you don't need to go outside and kick a ball and freeze to get better. You can go in the gym, put some tape down, take your steps and practice your muscle memory, hitting the same spot every time. If you're a punter, you can do drops in the gym, right? You can still get better in the locker room. Instead of kicking five more balls, maybe you're tired that day. So instead of kicking your 20 kicks in warm ups, maybe you kick 15. And then those extra five minutes you have, you go on your phone and you watch film of yourself in a highlight type sense. So little things to make your routine better for that day, I think is really important. And being aware of your surroundings and being aware of yourself in order to help you be successful, not just doing something because it's what you do. So I think we, as kickers, we get so locked in. This is what I have to do. And that always isn't necessarily good for us. I think that's a really important misconception you just talked about, about routines, that it is the same thing every time. And that's more of a ritual, in my opinion, where you're giving up the potential of your performance to some power that doesn't exist, that it needs yeah. to be the same way every time. No, you need to be aware of your circumstances in that moment, in that day, and then mold your routine to wonder how can my routine be changed to optimize my game as best as I can right now. And like you said, if it's really cold, sometimes it will be more helpful to do less kicks and not stay in that freezing cold. Sometimes if you're not feeling the energy, having some extra coffee that day might not be what you're used to, but understanding it's going to get you to perform closest to your potential with the highest likelihood of doing so. Yeah. And I think you also need, you might need to have some non-negotiables. Yeah. It's like, this is like, for me, I knew I, I, I had to have a snack before we, we, so we'd go out for rooms, come back in, and then we go out for the game. I had to have a snack between that time because I knew I might not have a snack for four, three, four hours. Yeah. So 
kind of building your routine based off this is what's super important and this is what I can change really helps to kind of get in the flow of things and just feel good, for, helps you feel good about the day. All right, here's my snack time. I know I'm going to have this consistency. Yeah. I also think as a kicker is, is pretty important. So you got to know your non-negotiables and then know what to change on that day to, to make yourself better on that certain day. Uh, a question I want to close this out with is how can kickers handle those inevitable high stakes misses when they do happen? Um, whether or not they turn out to be game winners, what comes to your mind first? Yeah, so there's a couple points. I think the biggest thing for me is that everybody really does make mistakes. Your your mistake is just in front of everybody and it happens to be known, right? So everybody's going to make a mistake in their job. Everybody's going to make a mistake on their test at some point in school in their life. So I think that knowing that you are human and you're going to make mistakes, it, it, it's going to happen. You can't get away from it. The other thing I think about is that your teammates, your parents, people who truly love and care for you are going to support you no matter what. And those are the people that really matter. The fan in the crowd who you didn't send your team to the state championship or the Super Bowl or whatever, they they really don't know you as a person. So of course they want you to make it and they might have some choice words for you. But in the end, they, in your little circles, right? They're like way out there in the circle, whereas your parents your spouse, whoever it might be, they're in that close-knit circle and they're going to love and support you no matter what. So I think that's something to keep in mind. The last thing I will say is that what helped me, going back to what helped me the most, is that you are a person first and a kicker second. So don't put yourself in a box and think this is who I am, that you are so much more than just a kicker, punter, long snapper. You, That's your job. That's your role, whatever you want to count it as. But in the end, you are a human being and you have all sorts of other talents that you could do in this. Remember, football is supposed to be fun. Kicking is supposed to be fun. So let's try to keep it that way. There are going to be tough, tough roads. There's going to be obstacles. But ultimately, you'll learn more from those obstacles than you would if you always make it. So all those things to keep in mind that you are, you are a person first and a kicker second. Sounds like a great note to end on. Austin. Thank you so much for joining. This has been really fun. And again, I love how specific we got. Where can people find you if they want to reach out? What are you up to? Yeah, so my personal socials are just A underscore Earth17, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. My mental performance is just earthenperformance.com or I have a Facebook page, Earth and Performance and Consulting, which I'm sure you'll link in the description. So and that's where you can find me. If you have questions about it, I'd be happy to help whoever needs it. All right. Thanks again, Austin. Thank you. Stay up to date with the podcast by following the sports psychology of on your podcast platform and see short highlights from every episode on Instagram. If you want to start working on your mental game, try out one-on-one sports psychology coaching with me by visiting my website, zelicoperformance.com, and schedule a free intro call where we'll discuss your goals, obstacles to success, and determine if we'd be a good fit to move forward. You can also email me directly at gabriel at zelicoperformance.com regarding private coaching or the podcast. Links to social media, my website, and email are all in the description. Thank you for listening.